Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Whether you're here in the room or joining us online from wherever you happen to be, it's great to be with you. And before we go any farther, I just want to acknowledge something. Um, I've had 17 Michigan State fans approach me and inquire as if the reason for postponing the game between Michigan and Michigan State that was supposed to happen yesterday around 2.30 was because the Wolverines were terrified of the Spartans. Okay. Now, I have no red phone to Ann Arbor. Juwan Howard and I haven't spoken in years. But I will tell you this. When we delayed the game with Ohio State, it worked out better for us. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, I also wanted to do a special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. I know each year, like starting up a church habit makes it onto more than a few New Year's resolution lists right behind things like eating more vegetables and eating less cookies. So if church made your list, I'm super honored that you chose to jump in with us here at Keystone. So, all right, now the five-part series we begin today, as you can see, is called Next Steps. And it's designed specifically for any of us who had entered into 2022 with the desire to grow deeper in our faith this year. And my sense is that based on a whole bunch of conversations I've had over the last few weeks, uh, that's more than a few of us. Now, now, if you stop to think about it, and I actually have because it's like my job and it's what I do, right? Um, but if you think about it, it's pretty interesting that so many of us have a sense that we have room to grow in our faith. It's like we, we have this lingering suspicion that we're not where we should be, or maybe better, we're not where we could be. And it makes me wonder, like, where does that sense come from? And I did a little thinking this week, and I know where it comes from in me. I, I think for me, it comes from those people that you meet from time to time who seem to have an unshakable and consequently inspiring faith in God. You, you know the people I'm talking about, like those people that whatever seems to happen to them, whatever challenges enter their lives, they just seem to be able to embrace the belief that God is ultimately in control. And, and so they don't give in to fear even when there are things that they could be afraid of. And, and they seem to experience the hard things in life, things like you know, suffering and pain and disappointment and unanswered questions and betrayal. They experience it within the context of a relationship with a God who knows them and is with them and who cares deeply for them. In other words, like for these people, their faith in God well, it isn't tied to a series of desired outcomes in life. Like their faith isn't contingent upon everything going the way it should go. Their faith or their trust or their belief, well, it seems to be in the character of God himself and his unfailing love for them. And if you've ever met anybody like that, if you've ever looked up to somebody like that, you may have wondered, like, where does a faith like that come from? Is it like genetically pre-programmed? Is it a product of, of nurture? Or, or can a faith like that be developed? Can we grow into a faith like that? Because deep down, like we all have this sense that if we could develop that sort of faith, then our experience in this life, in this messy, complicated, broken world filled with messy, complicated, broken people, would, our experience would be radically improved. And as it turns out... Um, that's what this series is all about. What I want to do is we start a new year together. For the next few weeks, I want to explore five practical steps that you can take, like from wherever you are today, to grow a faith that makes a real difference in the real world. Five things that you can do in order to take your faith from wherever it is now, 
Like if you entered uh, 2022 and you would say, my faith is on life support, uh, it's like I want to take it closer to where you want it to be and you have a sense that it maybe could be and should be. So as I thought about these five things, uh, there was sort of a surprising theme that emerged. None of the steps that we're going to unpack are particularly difficult to understand. Like you're going to go, yeah, if I did that, that would be helpful. Uh, they're pretty obvious. But, but here's the thing. They're not necessarily intuitive. And I think that's why I'm convinced so many people don't ever take them. They sort of, they sort of settle in their faith for less than it could be or should be. All that to say, if you're joining us today... And if you're looking to find faith for the first time, maybe you wandered in here or tuned in and, and you're sort of still in shock that you're at a church because you swore you'd never do it again because you had written the whole thing off, but something in you in the new year said, I'm going to give it one more try. Or maybe you're here and you're looking to rediscover your faith or grow in your faith that has grown stale over the last stretch, then this series really is for you. That said, I think this series is for all of us. Okay, so with our time today, we're going to explore the first step I want to suggest if you're ready to take your faith to the next level. And this one really isn't going to surprise you, like I promise, and here's why. I'm not going to give most of you any new information, so we should just close in prayer and go. No, just kidding, right? Yeah, uh, because this step, this first step, this sort of baseline, is all about doing what you already know you need to do. Seriously, here's what I mean. When you read the instructions given to early Jesus followers by Jesus and by some of those authors of those New Testament letters, you're confronted with the reality that Jesus taught some pretty incredible, pretty revolutionary the, the ideas that when applied, like when put into practice, will cause your faith in God to grow. The only trouble, and I've been a pastor now for over two decades, the trouble seems to be that many people who regularly attend church, none of us, but those other church people, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, they seem far more interested in learning about the way of Jesus than actually doing what Jesus said to do. And because I'm a human being, I have a sense as to why that is. And you should write this down. It's super profound. It goes like this. Doing what Jesus said to do isn't easy. In fact, it's hard and it can be incredibly emotionally complicated. Consequently, many of us who spend a lot of time in and around church can unintentionally get in the habit of sort of acknowledging that we need to make a change in our lives without ever actually changing. E effectively, we tell God, yes, I agree that's important, I agree that's a big deal, and I agree that I should be about the business of doing that, but I'm going to do that Later, like in a season where life is less complicated and less busy. And by the way, I'm not sure that ever happens, right? And to be fair, when we say that to God, when we say, God, I'm going to get to that later, we really mean it. But here's the thing. Pushing off something that we know we should do but don't really want to do until an as-of-yet undetermined future date often sets us on a path towards an incredibly unsatisfying faith. And Jesus actually says as much. In fact, at the end of the single largest block of his teaching that's found in the New Testament, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his audience a parable, a famous story, to encourage them to implement what they learned from him in their daily lives. Maybe and especially the hard stuff. And it's a story that if you've been around church at all, you've, you've heard it before. There's even a song that I will not sing for you. You are already blessed in 2022, right? But uh, Jesus begins this parable this way. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and puts them into practice, and I, and I made that bolded and highlighted because it's critical, right, is like a wise man, a wise woman, a wise person who built their house on a rock. In other words, Jesus looks out at this vast sea of people who've come to listen to him, and he tells them, listen, I want more for you than just to listen to what I'm saying. It's like, it's not just enough for you to hear my words. If you want to access the sort of life that you were designed to live, that God has in mind for you, that I desire for you, then you need, to, if you want to build your faith in and trust for God, who wants to know you as a heavenly father, then, then you need to actually do what I tell you to do. And you need to stop making excuses. And as he continues to tell the story, he explains why this is so important. And he says it this way. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So like Jesus says, when you do the sort of things that I tell you to do, even when they're hard, even when they're counterintuitive, even when they're incredibly emotionally complicated, it's almost like you're building your life, you're building your faith, you're building the experience in this world on a firm foundation. But notice as well that even when we do all the things that we're supposed to do or Jesus wants us to do or invites us to do, Jesus also says that, you know what, this life will be filled with all sorts of challenges. He calls them storms. It's almost like he says to them, listen, you're a broken people operating in a broken world, surrounded by other broken people who are operating in a broken world. And so you can expect all sorts of storms. Storms like vocational storms. Like something happens in your job and you didn't see it coming and maybe it was related to the pandemic, but now you're not sure what the future looks like for you vocationally and it's disorienting and it's confusing it's a storm or or financial storms or relational storms i mean something happens with with one of your kids or with a parent or with a spouse you know physiological storms there's a health scare that enters your story or emotional storms of any and all sorts of variety so like the question the question isn't whether storms will come in this life. They will come. The question Jesus presents to his audience is he says, listen, will you be prepared to weather those storms? Will your life be prepared? Will your faith be prepared to weather those storms? Because storms are always hard. They're often unexpected, but they're always challenging. And so Jesus says, listen, I want to give you a way to prepare yourself and your life and your faith for the storms before they come. And so what I want you to do is I want you to trust me with your life, not just the life that comes after this life, but your life right here and right now. Like, I love you and I want to invite you to learn a new way to be a human right here and right now. And when you trust me, your faith in me, your trust in me builds and you're actually constructing your life on solid ground. And, and th if you think about it, like this actually makes sense because all relationships grow stronger as trust is accumulated. And so if you desire to build a relationship with your heavenly father, the, the invisible God of creation, it's like the way to do that is to trust him when he tells you to do something and to find that he is trustworthy. Like your faith intersects with his faithfulness. And it's like this combustion of the soul. It's like the engine of faith roars to life. That's, that's the option that's before all of us. But, but Jesus isn't done uh, with his teaching. As he continues, he, he presents the other option to his audience. 
And if we're honest, this is the option that many of us are way too familiar with because we've all had friends that have done this. Not us, of course, our friends, right? Yeah. Jesus describes it this way. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So you hear the same thing. You, you just don't do anything with it. He says it's like a foolish man, foolish woman, a foolish person who built their house on sand. And then he continues. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, now it's worth noting, because we, we sort of catch the language of fool, and it can be kind of offensive, but, but Jew, Jesus' first audience would have been Jewish. And in the Jewish mind, uh, foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Right? You can either live as a fool or you can live with wisdom. Wisdom to the Jew is, is leveraged whenever someone connects their choices with the consequences that will logically follow from those choices. So like if I do this, this is probably going to happen. And then foolishness is just simply when you don't connect choices and the consequences that will follow them. So like in this context, Jesus basically says it's foolish when people back then and people today don't do what he tells them to do, especially when we don't do what we know we should do. Like we get to that point where we agree that this is the path of life. We just don't start walking it. And, and also I love it that, that as Jesus tells a story, like the same storms come. The language is exactly the same. Rain comes down, floodwaters rise, the same storms surge into a life. But this time as there's been no preparation this house, this life, this faith comes crashing down. All, all that to, to say, Jesus punctuates the largest block of his teaching in the entire New Testament by making one incredible point. He would say to his audience, listen, I appreciate it when you come and listen. I appreciate it for us, you know, when you take notes to sort of reflect later. And I appreciate it when you discuss and get in small groups and debate it and push back and do further research on Wikipedia because everything you read there is true. Just kidding. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, like change in life often starts with things like listening and learning, with gathering information. That's a wise way to live. But Jesus also wants people to know that, well, really none of that listening and learning and talking and debating and research will make that much difference in the way they experience life or in their faith until they actually do something with what they've learned. Even if they hear his words and believe them. Even if they hear his words and are moved by them. Even if they hear his words and acknowledge that they need to change. Like at the end of the day, he would say, if you don't put into practice what you've heard from me, you've built your house, you've built your life, you've built your faith on sand. And, and I still love you, but listen, things are going to look great on the outside, but when, not if, when storms come, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And he was saying, I don't want that for you because I love you and I care about you. And I know that trying to navigate like in this world, it can be like trying to walk through fog because sometimes your emotions tell you one thing and it pulls you in the wrong direction. So he's like, I want to shine a light through the fog. I want to point you to the way. I want you to invite you to follow. And listen, I love you regardless, but your best life is found when you learn to walk the path that God designed for you. I, I guess I want to, just to start the year by saying simply that when it comes to taking a next step in faith for a whole bunch of us, we really don't need more information. 
We just need to do the hard work of wrestling down what to do with what we've already learned. Because in the end, when it comes to building your faith, learning is good. This is one of my favorite faith principles. I say it all the time. Learning is good, but doing makes the difference. When you actually get to the doing, that's when you experience the blessing. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time today is get really practical because like we're starting a new year together. It's a great time to reflect on where you've been, to dream about where you want to be. And I want to encourage you to take an inventory of three specific areas in your life that when addressed can powerfully catalyze the growth of your faith. I've seen it over and over and over again. The three areas I'm going to talk to you briefly about are forgiveness, generosity, and anxiety. And, and we'll take them one at a time. So first I'm going to talk to you a little bit about forgiveness. And if you spent any time around the teachings of Jesus, you know that this was something that was right at the heart of his mission and message. In fact, leveraging something that he had understood from the teachings of Jesus, a pastor named Paul wrote a letter to ancient Christians living in a city called Ephesus. And he wrote the following words to them. He said, listen, I want you to be kind and compassionate to one another. So far, so good. He says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So literally, like, how, Paul, do we be compassionate and kind to one another? He says, no, you need to forgive each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Like, whenever someone hurts you, whenever someone's actions create an emotional debt with you, right? Someone does something, and that's why you think, man, they owe me now, right? Paul says, listen, you must refuse to hold on to that debt. You need to cancel it. And moreover, and this is key, uh, you're to do it not because the person who harmed you deserves it. I mean, if you say it, he says forgiving each other. He doesn't say forgiving each other because that's the best thing to do or forgiving each other because that's really healthy for you. He says, no, no, forgive each other or forgive each other because they deserve it. No, forgive each other because just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's like you need to forgive because when you accepted when you accepted Jesus, when you placed your faith in him, you may not have realized it, but you were invited to step out of the relational economy of this world. A world where it says, if they hurt me, then I'm going to get back at them, right? There's no way I'm going to forgive them after what they did. It hurt too bad. They said too much. They did too much. They didn't say enough. They didn't do too enough. It's like, that's the way of the world. And, and Paul like, says, listen, you've been invited to step out of that way, that economy, and into the relational economy of something Jesus called the kingdom of God. It's a new way of being in this world where God is the king. And God reigns. And his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So you step out of the relational economy of the world. And you step into the relational economy of the kingdom of God. It's like Paul would say to them, listen, you are a people who have received an extravagant gift of forgiveness undeserved from your heavenly father. And as a result, you have been invited to become a people who embody that same extravagant forgiveness to other people. You didn't deserve it and they don't deserve it either, but you've entered a kingdom that operates by a different set of rules. And so according to Jesus, forgiveness is supposed to be like multidimensional. And some of you are having geometry flashbacks. You're like, whoa. Or if you're in high school, you're like, no, it's Sunday. No geometry. Multidimensional. Like this way and this way, right? That was my very sophisticated way of explaining multidimensional. You're welcome, right? Yeah. 
But it starts as a vertical transaction between God and people. Like we accept forgiveness from God, but then it must necessarily become a horizontal transaction between people and other people. And to miss the connection is to miss something central to being a Jesus follower in this world. And moreover, to miss the connection is to miss something essential to a healthy faith. Let me say it a different way. Walking the difficult path of forgiveness and not just talking about walking it causes faith in God and trust of God to grow. Because doing makes the difference. And so I need to ask you a question as we enter a new year together. It goes like this. Is there someone whose relational debt you need to forgive? In other words, as I'm talking, in, like in an instant, if you have to like search for it, you may be fine, right? But if someone's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I know exactly who I carried with me into this year and carried a debt from into this year. And so maybe for you, it's, it's someone who hurt you maybe even a long time ago. It was a parent. It was a friend. It was a sibling. It was a coach. But if you're honest, like if you're laying in bed at night looking at the ceiling, like they still, some, they still occupy space in your head and in your heart because of the damage they've inflicted. And the damage was real and the damage is real. But, but if that's you, I would just submit to you that perhaps the time has come to cancel the debt or begin the process of canceling the debt to let them go. Because as strange as it sounds, in letting them go, you actually release yourself from the burden of carrying that debt. And, and if my time as a pastor is any indication, taking steps to forgive the people who hurt you the most is an incredibly catalytic step towards a growing and healthy faith. So as we enter the new year, is there someone whose relational debt that you need to forgive? So that's, that's forgiveness. And now I want to talk to you a bit about generosity. Um, because it, too, was something that was right at the center of the mission and message of Jesus. In fact, there was a day that Jesus was teaching a group of people who had assembled on a hillside near the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And they had heard of the miracles, and they went to see him heal, but they also went to hear him teach. And as he was unpacking the rules of the kingdom of God, he said this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy... I love the word vermin. I don't know. Every time I say it, I giggle. <clears throat> and where thieves break in and steal, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't mean the heart that pumps blood through your body. He means like your emotional center, the, the place from which you live and love and serve. And so he says like, I need to alert you to the hazard of living a life where the primary goal is the endless accumulation of material possessions. He, he would say to his audience, listen, uh, from the perspective of a healthy faith, that's a dead end. It won't bring you the fulfillment that you desire. To live a life where you're like endlessly consumed with swapping out the old for the new. It, when you live that way, it causes a steady spiritual erosion and will ultimately leave you unfulfilled. And that's why Jesus pointed his followers to a better option. He, he called it storing up treasures in heaven, which sounds like a bit ethereal. You're like, oh yeah, I should totally do that. What does he mean by that, right? Um, but basically to store up treasures in, 
In heaven means to give stuff away. Seriously, Jesus wants his followers to engage in something I like to call systemic generosity. It's not just a one and done sort of generosity, but it's a generosity where they leverage their resources over and over and over again to help people in need and to help resource organizations that help people in need. And, and once again, uh, Jesus would say, listen, you're to do this because through your faith in me, you've been invited to step out of the financial economy of this world and to step into the financial economy of the kingdom of God. It's like there are new rules because God is on the throne and he is ruling and he is reigning on earth as it is in heaven. And so you're a people who have received extravagant, undeserved generosity from God and who, as a result, are invited to become people that embody that same sort of generosity. It's like the, forgive, uh, sorry, the forgiveness or the generosity is supposed to be multidimensional, like forgiveness. It starts as a vertical transaction between God and us, and then it becomes a horizontal one as we love and serve and care for other people. And to miss the connection is to miss something central to being a Jesus follower. Because as it turns out, walking the path of generosity and not just talking about walking it causes faith in God and trust of God to grow. So I need to ask you another question as we enter a new year. A few of you dodged the first one, so how about this one? It goes like this. Have you ever made the intentional shift in your budget to enable systematic generosity? Have you ever said to God, you know, I know conceptually that all of my resources come from you and I desire to give some back to help people and, and organizations that help people, um, but I've never really made that step. And if that's you, I would just suggest you that perhaps the time has come for you to make that move. And, and to be fair, many of you may, may say, well, I would need to start small, okay? But, but maybe you still need to start. And I'm telling you, once again, like if my time as a pastor is any indication, taking steps to engage in systemic generosity can be incredibly catalytic to faith. Because as Jesus points out, it's not just about your financial resources, it's actually about your heart. And Jesus ultimately cares about our heart. So that's, that's generosity. And now one more, let's talk a little bit about anxiety. Um, and this too was something that lay right at the heart of the mission and message of Jesus. I think the most commanded word, of the most commanded command in the entire Bible is do not fear. Uh, and it too was addressed in a letter to early Christians, this time living in an ancient city uh, in Greece. But here's what Paul wrote to them. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says, and the peace of God, here's the promise, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul wants his audience to understand that Jesus' followers are invited to allow their faith or trust in God to displace the fear in their lives. They're encouraged to surrender anxiety about all sorts of things that they can't control and trust that the God who made them and who loves them and who through Jesus has rescued them also desires to rescue them from anxiety. In other words, Jesus desires his followers to step out of the emotional economy of this world that's ruled by an unrelenting desire to control the uncontrollable and to step into the emotional economy of the kingdom of God where God is on the throne and his rule and reign has come on earth as it is in heaven. You say, we say, well, how would I ever access that? Well, Paul tells us, he says, listen, through regular prayer 
and you actively and repeatedly release your anxieties into the hands of your heavenly father. More practically, like once you've done everything that you can think to do to impact whatever situation faces you, you need to trust your heavenly father with the rest. So I want to ask you one more question as we enter 2022, and it goes like this. Have you carried anxiety into the new year that you need to surrender to God? And if you don't have any of this, I would love to have lunch with you and figure out how you got there, by the way. So just I'm just being honest, right? But maybe for you, it's something financial or an unexpected physical challenge or a complicated relationship with a child or a spouse or a parent or valid concerns about the ongoing pandemic. It's like you wake up in the morning and there's just fear there for you. And if so, perhaps the time has come to surrender that worry to God. Literally open your hands, open your heart and let it go because you were never intended to carry it. And anxiety steals life from our lives. And so just the simple prayer, God, I need to hand this back to you because it's slowly killing me and I need your peace, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that's possible in the middle of uncertainty to reign in my life. And once again, I'm telling you, if my time as a pastor is any indication, talking about or taking steps to actually release the anxiety and not just talking about it can be an incredibly catalytic step towards a growing faith because walking that path of releasing anxiety it has its roots in, you know, trying to un control the uncontrollable and the unknowable and not just talking about it will cause your faith in God and trust of God to grow. So kind of like if I had to wrap it all together this morning, what I'm trying to say is for a whole bunch of us, the next step for us to grow the faith that we know is possible and that we maybe we've known for years is possible is just starting to do some of the things that we know that we need to do and to stop telling God that we'll get to it later. We need to start ordering our lives around the blueprints drafted by Jesus to sort of wake up each morning and, and tell him that we're willing to surrender to his will for our lives and to his ways. And we're going to trust wherever he leads us, even when it's difficult, even when it feels impossible, because we believe that he's with us and we believe that he's for us and we believe that he's ahead of us inviting us into a better future. So as we kind of close down today, I want to invite the band to join me on the stage. And, and I wanted to just give us all a moment to just sit in this. And for some of you, it's very possible that as I was speaking, God brought something into your mind and into your heart. And maybe it wasn't the three that I came up with. But there was something else you're like, you know, for years I have sensed that this is in my life and it needs to no longer be in my life. Or maybe this is in my life and it has never been in my life and it needs to be. And that's my next step. And whatever that is, we just, I just wanted to give you some space. So the band is going to uh, perform a song for us. It's called Morning by Morning. And it's just a beautiful song of commitment where, where people, we can all just say to God, listen, God, I, I wake up every morning and to say, I want to be in the center of your will. I want to trust where you lead me, wherever that is, because I want to experience the sort of life that you intend for me. So let's listen to this together, and then I'll return and close our time in prayer.